this morning. Um, you know, somewhere along the line, we don't do the best job in the world in church of letting people know that it's more than just coming and sitting in a building and listening for an hour or two a week. God wants us to enjoy Him and enjoy life. He wants us to have fun. And, you know, God forbid that sometimes we miss that and people have an idea of following God means you've got to be stuffy. Well, thank God He's got a sense of humor. I mean, look at you. I mean, no, me, I should say, not you, me. Um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking back, uh, as getting to the message here in a moment. I think it was my first year of college, and I was reading biographies over a summer, and I was working. My dad worked for General Electric Power Company for 30-something years. He retired from there, and I got a job, uh, worked there a summer right after high school, and uh, I was reading these biographies of these great Christian leaders. And, you know, I encourage you to do that, by the way. You can read about these people God really used, and it, it can, it's really exciting to see how they just jump out there and trust God. And as you read about their life story, how God works in a powerful way to answer their prayers and to do all this stuff that has to be linked back to God because we're just not strong enough to do it. Anyway, I was reading about this guy named Charles G. Finney, who uh, back in his day was a speaker that you know God used and all this great stuff was happening. And, and I was getting ready to go to work in the factory of General Electric, you know, lighting company. And, and there was part of the book where Charles G. Finney literally walked into this factory, and when he walked into this factory, revival broke out. He didn't preach. He just walked in there and God's spirit got a hold of people and people started dealing with, man, I need God in my life. I need to do business with God. I, I need to quit ignoring God. I need, you know, and, and all this stuff. So I thought, well, golly. I mean, Lord, if you can work through Charles G. Finney, what about me? So I'm thinking I'll just walk into General Electric and people will just, they'll just start repenting. I mean, you know, hey, I believe. Well, needless to say, none of that happened. I mean, I, I walked into there and, I don't know, I tried to share Jesus. I was scared to death. I remember this one guy, uh, for the whole summer, I was trying to get the courage up and share with him. And, and his name was Steve, but we uh, called him Boulder Rock. That's how he talked, Boulder Rock. And I remember finally I got up the courage near the end of it to share Jesus with Boulder Rock. And I wish I could say that he started, you know, doing business with God right there and bowed his heart came Christ, but he didn't. That's not what happened. But God, he laid it on my heart not to, to save and convert Boulder Rock, although I, I would love that. Because the bottom line is, you and I don't save or convert anybody. That's the work of God by his spirit. And the reason I even tell that story and I got to thinking about all of this is sometimes, you know, there's almost this romantic picture of, you know, turn your life over to God and, and you'll be God's powerful representative and He'll do all this work through you and, and days will be happy and we'll float on clouds and be full of joy and everything. But a lot of times life is a battle. And, and what I mean by that is there's this battle within us of two natures. One is the nature that God has provided in our hearts and the other, the Bible refers to as the old nature or the sinful nature, which is which is the part of us that rebels against God. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. I, 
I'm actually going to read from the Amplified Bible of Romans seven fifteen through 25 for our scripture reading. Uh, but I encourage you to, to look that up. You have your Bibles. It's Romans seven fifteen through 25. And just stand in his honor as I read it aloud. For I do not understand my own actions. I am baffled, bewildered. I do not practice or accomplish what I wish, but I do the very thing that I loathe, which my moral instinct condemns. Now, if I do habitually what is contrary to my desire, that means that I acknowledge and agree that the law is good, morally excellent, and that I take sides with it. However, it's no longer I who do the deed, but the sin principle which is at home in me and has possession of me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot perform it. I have the intention and urge to do what is right, but no power to carry it out. For I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do, but the evil deeds that I do not desire to do are what I'm ever doing. Now, if I do what I do not desire to do, it's no longer I doing it. It is not myself that acts, but the sin principle which dwells within me, fixed and operating in my soul. So I find it to be a law, rule of action of my being, that when I want to do what is right and good, evil is ever present with me, and I am subject to its insistent demands. For I endorse and delight in the law of God in my inmost self, with my new nature, but I discern in my bodily members and the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh a different law, rule of action, at war against the law of my mind, my reason, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that dwells in my bodily organs and the sensitive appetites and wills of the flesh. Oh, unhappy and pitiable and wretched man I am, who will release and deliver me from the shackles of this body of death? Thank God, He will. Through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, our Lord. So then, indeed, I of myself with a mind and heart serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that although there is a battle that rages within us, Lord. There is a victory, God. And I just pray that you speak as we look at your word. And Father, that we're reminded of you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. It was interesting. I was thinking about this as Robert had said this morning. The importance of being real. I mean, after all, people see through us anyway most of the time. We can try to pretend like we're something we're not. But if you're with somebody long enough, you usually can see through that. And um, I remember one time uh, my niece talking about uh, her mom, my sister, uh, saying she, you know, she likes it when she uses her telephone voice. My my sister's you know a nice person, but boy, you don't want her mad at you. But she she has this. No matter what she's doing, she might be upset with something, but she can break into the telephone voice. Ah, it's so go glad that you called, and it's so. Good to talk to you. And yet so often, don't we, we kind of do that, you know, as, as Christians. You know, 
we put forward this picture of how we want others to see us and to portray us. But deep down, it's, it's, it's a game. It's, it's not real. We're not really under God's power or control. And uh, Tommy Lasorda, the former uh, Los Angeles Dodgers manager, in his book, The Inner Self, writes this. He says, I took a pack of cigarettes from my pocket. They stared at me and said, who's stronger, you or me? The answer was me. I stopped smoking. Then I took a vodka martini and said to it, who's stronger, you or me? Again, the answer was me. I quit drinking martinis. Then I decided to go on a diet. I looked at a big plate of linguine with clam sauce and said, who's stronger, you or me? And the little clam looked up at me and answered, I am. Lasorda said, I just cannot beat linguine with clam sauce. (laughs) C.S. Lewis put it this way. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. When we compare ourselves to each other, we can often find something that we're a little better at. Or sin that we're not quite uh, struggle with as much. And we can point at the other person. But you see, the problem is, guys, the comparison is not between us. It's with Him. The one who is without sin. He's the measuring stick. And we do that, we realize, when we really try to be good, when we really try to follow God, then we catch a glimpse of how far off we are. How desperately that we really need a Savior. Listen again, I'm going to jump back here to the scripture here and just kind of go through this quickly uh, um, from the Amplified. Yeah, the preachers quickly, I know. He starts out, he says, verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. He says, I'm baffled, I'm bewildered. You see, there's a, there really is a part of me that says, God, I want to be yours. I want to be that one that's on fire for you. Um I was in uh, Benjamin Wall's art gallery this week. Have you all been there on State Street? Man, he is so gifted, a photographer. He's been different places in the world. I encourage you to go in there sometime if you have. It's free. He's got these incredible um, portraits or photographs that are blown up and, uh, that are big all over the wall, and there's a guide in there to explain it. And uh, Anyway, there was this guide in there. I was walking around with her, and you know, she's a charismatic Christian, and, and I was sitting there, and, and she was talking about having a hunger and having a thirst. And, and I said back, I said, well, we can't even have a hunger or thirst unless God gives it to us. And then she didn't know really what to say with that. She said, but you got to have a hunger and you got to have a thirst. And, and I walked out of there and I kept thinking, you know, you got to have, God's got to give it. But then I got back and I got to thinking, do I have a hunger and thirst for God? Do I? Psalm 107 verse 9 says, for he feels, for he satisfies the thirsty And he fills the hungry with good things. I mean, sometimes I'm just too content. And there needs to be a little bit of a restlessness for God. That God might show up in in a way that is more than just routine. You know? It's so easy to get in that routine. God kind of dealt with me over the past couple of days. God, maybe I'm just too much in a routine, Lord. I need to... I need to love you. I need to strive for you. Someone has said that God's job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And uh, sometimes we need to be awakened to Him. 
and, and to his presence. And so Paul, he just admits here, he says, I'm baffled, I'm bewildered. He says, I do not practice or accomplish. He says, what I wish. But the truth is, he says, the very thing I loathe, the thing that my moral insides instinct condemn, that's what I find myself habitually doing. I do what I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, that is what I find myself doing. And, and it's interesting here in the Amplified, in verse 17, he says, which is at home in me and has possession of me. There's this battle with sin, and, and Paul is saying, you know, it's got a hold of me. It has possession. It has control of me. God, this is not who I want to be, and this is not where I want to be. But God, it seems like I'm just stuck in this mire and in this muck. Matter of fact, he says here in verse 18, what an honest statement. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot perform that. He says, I have the intention and I have this urge to do what's right, but there's no power to carry it out. And he just honestly says, I fail to practice the good deeds I desire to do. I talk it, but I'm not doing it. That's what he's confessing. The Apostle Paul, that's what he's saying. <laughs> he talks about it and he says, he calls it the sin principle from this tra translation. He says, it dwells within me. And, and listen to this phrase. He says, it's fixed and it's operating in my soul. It has become a rule of action of my being. It's what's got a hold of me, these appetites are in charge of my life. And there's this fierce battle at work. Um, I don't know how many of you have read that book by Robert Louis Stevenson, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And it's really about one man who's two men. And in the book, um, Dr. Jekyll, he uh, invents this potion and, and he drinks this potion and and he becomes just an outstanding, wonderful man with many graceful and great qualities. But there's another part of him, Mr. Hyde, who is a murderous person, who is evil, who is wicked, who is conniving. And in the beginning, as he drinks this potion, he's able to control Mr. Hyde. And most of who is in control is Dr. Jekyll. But as he continues to take this potion, Mr. Hyde begins to take control. And, and so the book is about this raging beast that, and this battle between this man who is made up of two different people. And there's this great struggle. And so someone asked Robert Louis Stevenson, they said, where did you get the inspiration for such a wonderful book and such a wonderful character? And he says, it came from my Christian faith. Because there are two within me and there's this battle that rages. There's the part of me that longs for God and, and for there to be good that's, that I think about and, and that I perform and that has the control of my life. And then there's this other part of me that rebels against God, that is evil, that, that um, is not listening to God and is not under God's control. So there's this battle within me, this beast that takes, that takes my strength. Uh, 
the honest assessment, and it's the honest assessment that you and I face. I remember uh, way back when Richard Coffey was here working with the students, and one time he was speaking, I don't know how many times I've used this, but I remember Richard saying that our battle with sin, you know, is three stages. He says, first, we are freed from the penalty of sin. You see, at the moment that you trust Christ to forgive you and to be your Savior, it's at that moment that you're free from the penalty of sin because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It says that we are separated from God and that we are condemned. And although we don't like to talk about this today, it says that the result of that is that we're headed to a place called hell that is a very uncomfortable place. But God has died on the cross and He wants us to be free from that. And He wants us instead to be with Him for all of eternity and to know His blessing and to be His companion. And, and, and you know, the picture that we're freed from that, from the penalty of sin. And then there's the part of salvation that deals with where we are here in this place where we live day to day. And He says we are freed from the power of sin. And that's really the bulk of this message. And what we're talking about here is uh, God gives us strength to live in Him. Not that we're perfect, not that the battle stops, but that He provides us a way to follow Him. I love that first verse I memorized was 1 Corinthians ten thirteen as a teenager. Now, I was a 15, almost 16-year-old teenage boy. And, whew, I had a lot of temptations floating around in there, you know. A lot of things I wanted to do. So uh, uh, God got a hold of my heart. Here's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God will provide you a way out so you can stand up under it. Now, a lot of hope there. First off, there's no temptation... No desire to disobey God, guys, that hits you that someone else hasn't faced. You're not alone. It's common to man. But I love the fact that he says in that verse, God is faithful. He goes on, he says, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He'll provide you a way out. He, he's going to give you an escape hatch. Not that there's not a battle, but he will provide you as you follow him an escape hatch in that battle. That, that's, that's the point of that, that fight, that battle that occurs. Um, it is great, though, to know the last part of the text here. that uh, It's not just the battle. Look here in the last couple of verses. Um, verse 24 and 25. He says, oh, unhappy and pitiable and wretched man that I am. In other words, he says, you guys think I'm this outstanding missionary, that I'm this hero of the faith, that I'm this pioneer man of God that just lives one romantic victory with God after another. And Paul says, not really. He says, I am a mess. He says, man, I'm wretched. And there are times, and I just... So disappointed in me. Man, isn't that, that's honest, isn't it? Just, you know, you think about Paul, you think, he had days like that, really? 
makes us realize, you know, that we all are not so different, are we? I love it, though. He says, who, who will release and deliver me from the shackles of this body of death? Oh, thank God. And then it has, an, then it has in parentheses, he will, through Jesus Christ, the anointed one, our Lord. So then indeed, I of myself, with a mind and heart, Serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So what he says is that God has delivered me. God has provided that way out. Um, In Africa, uh, the Zulus, a tribe in Africa, one of their delicacies, they like to uh, have supper. Not cornbread and beans. They like to have ring-tailed monkeys. They're, these monkeys are very agile. They're hard to hunt and catch. And so they have a strategy. What they do is they take a gourd or they take a coconut and they put a, a hole in the gourd or coconut and um, they clean out the insides of it and then they take some melon or some uh, or cooked rice and then they put it into the gourd or coconut we'll just say the gourd into the gourd and then after that they tie it or connect it to a tree so it's one end of the rope is connected to the gourd the other end to the tree and so the monkey he starts smelling that food he comes down out of the tree and he sticks his hand into the gourd to grab the rice and the melon but when he clenches his fist he can't get his hand back out because of the way the hole is constructed. Now, all he really has to do is to let go of the, mel- of the melon or the rice, and then he can get his hand free. But that's not what he does. He clenches a hold of that, and then he, he runs into the tree. The problem is, when he runs to jump up to the limb, first limb in the tree, the end of the rope stops him, and he goes smack. Can't hit the pulpit with this one. Like this. He goes smack, and he hits the ground. And he does this a couple of times until they finally come and they catch the monkey. Why were they able to catch him? Because he wasn't willing to let go of that melon or that rice and that was his downfall. It's really a lot the way we are. God says, I will provide you a way out. Paul says, I'm a wretched, pitiable guy, but Jesus Christ will deliver me. He has delivered me in the sense of heaven awaits me. He has delivered me in the sense that the penalty of sin, I don't have to worry about. I'm no longer condemned. But he will rescue me from this mediocre existence. He'll give me strength. He'll give me life. He'll give me hope. And he says, just let go. Let go of of whatever it is that's pulling you away from God. That's uh, that's the call. That's the that's the challenge that he gives to us. And of course, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Just like Jesus said to the inner disciples as he prayed in the garden. We understand that. First John uh, chapter one verses eight and nine. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We all have this sin issue. Okay. I have it. You have it. 
The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No exceptions. We have the issue. But he promises if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, to confess means to agree with God. So if we agree with God, I'm a mess. I'm not that wonderful person I want everybody to think I am. It's not the truth. He says, look, I love you. And I'm going to respect that you're real. And I am the one who is faithful and just. And my intention, what I will do, is forgive your sins. And cleanse you of unrighteousness. And you know, it's one of the things I love the most, guys, about the Christian life. It's the life of a new start. I love that verse in Lamentations that says, His mercies are new every morning. And that's a comfort because, man, there's some mornings they get up and go, Why did I do that? You know, like the old saying, you know, says, Lord, what a day. Um, got people that hate me. I've got a job I can't stand. I've got all kinds of pressures. I've got health issues. And he says, and I don't know how I'm going to face the day. And I haven't even gotten out of bed yet. You know that kind of... But God says, my mercies are new every morning. You know, I love that. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. We are broken. And although we cannot fix ourselves, that's what Calvary's about. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for taking time tonight to be reminded that although there is this battle, and when we're honest, it, it occurs. And until we're in heaven... Where the very presence of sin will let that time be removed, it's still present here. And we still struggle and we still battle. But you love us, Lord. And I believe that you work in our lives and through the lives of your people in such a way, Father, that you will show us that you love us, miss and all. Matter of fact, sometimes you work through our mess especially when it's offered to you. <laughs> Father, I don't know what you're up to tonight, Father. I, there's an altar that's open, maybe. Someone feels a need to come and to pray at the altar. Maybe someone else, you are giving them a conviction to come and to pray and to share with the people who are here something that you are up to in their lives, Lord. I don't know. Maybe there's a... I, I don't know, maybe it's a call to serve you, maybe it's, Father, maybe it's just a specific battle and, and you just want the people here to be supportive. Maybe it's to be a part of this particular church if, if you're not a member. Maybe it's to trust Jesus for the first time and to be baptized. Maybe someone here's not followed through in that first step of obedience to be baptized. I don't know what you want but I want what you want. And so just lay it upon each heart to follow you. And may we just be in agreement and say yes to whatever that call is. Lead us, Master. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.